The Happy Even After Podcast. The Happy Even After Podcast. Divorce sucks, but it doesn't need to define you, and it doesn't need to be the end of your story. The Happy Even After Podcast. Meet your host, Renee Bauer, an award-winning divorce attorney, peacemaker, author, and founder of The D Course, an online divorce educational program. She's been doing this work for almost two decades, and she is passionate about helping all women make it out the other side. The Happy Even After Podcast. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Happy Even After Podcast. And today we are switching things up a little bit. And while my guest is a divorcee, really the focus of our conversation is going to be something a little bit different. So let me introduce you to Michelle Kenny, who holds a master's degree in education and has been trained as a counsel and schools facilitator and is an ADL trainer fighting against bias of all types on school campuses. She worked for 12 years in public schools as a teacher and counselor, none of which prepared her to be a mom. And after years of consequences, bribes, and star charts, she found a better way to reshape the relationship she shares with her daughters, and she credits it with changing her life. She lives in sunny LA with her two girls who are 12 and 15, and she's passionate about helping others find their way through the murky business of being a connected parent. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, thank you, Renee, for having me on. I love this. When I was starting to prepare for the interview, I laughed when I saw the star charts because I was totally like one of those to all of the mm-hmm. <laughs> all of the bribery. Anything we can do to get them to put their shoes on. <laughs> I know, right? Yep. So let's just start with my audience getting to know you a little bit and you are divorced. If you could just share a little bit of what your divorce story is and how you decided to really lean into the parenting and peace and being a connected parent and all of the work that you do now. I've actually only been divorced for about a year, but we've been separated for about five and a half or six. It took us that long to get to the legality. I think we were just trying to lean into being co-parents and it was mm-hmm. you know, a lot of new and it was hard and we were college sweethearts and I think we couldn't find our way anymore. And we kind of divorced amicably. I mean, there were definitely hard moments, but we've tried to really come together to parent together. And we do. I see him almost every day and he's a real integral part of our lives. And we still, you know, try to spend some holidays together and have good open communication. We definitely have our moments where I want to kill him. But, you know, overall, it hasn't been horrible. It was really hard on the girls at first. And we had to really lean into like, how are we going to be there for them? But we've found our way, you know, for better or worse, we've found our way into our new family that feels still like a family. Yeah, yeah. And I think it always is initially right out of the gate. It's that it's learning. And learning how to be co-parents because you're not husband and wife anymore. And there's definitely a journey with that. Because even if I look back at the type of relationship I had with my ex right immediately after my divorce compared to what it is now, it's an entirely different type of relationship. And that's just because of time and kind of figuring out how to do it. Yeah. It's not easy, but there is a way out there, everyone. You can find your path. You definitely can. All right. So let's talk about parenting. You spent a lot of time working in education. So what made you decide to kind of pivot and and really have a platform now where you're educating about how to parent and how to get through the murky business of being a connected parent, like you say? 
I mean, I think I, I really thought, I thought I was going to be a good mom. I thought I was going to do it all right. I thought all this experience with children had to give me some sort of leg up, but Mm -hmm. it didn't. And I found myself really failing as far as my own behavior, like yelling and controlling and feeling really bad about myself because I'd gotten to that place where I didn't want to be and I felt totally out of control. So I found Connected Parenting by happen chance at a school event. I was crying because my daughter and I were having such a hard time. She was five. And she said, you should try Connected Parenting. You should look into hand in hand. And I was like, why not? So I tried it. And I couldn't believe that nobody knew that parenting could be done this way, that nobody knew that you didn't have to punish, that you didn't have to use star charts, that you didn't have to yell. And then I thought, oh my gosh, I have to tell everybody because nobody knows. So that's kind of where my journey began. And so I just begged people to come take my courses for free so that I could spread the word. So what is connected parenting? So the idea is that we work on the relationship that we share with our children as opposed to working on changing their behaviors, because I think a lot of parenting methodologies or approaches really say, okay, we want to change our kids' behavior, and how can we do that? Can we reward them? Can we punish them? Can we manipulate them in some way to get their behavior to change? And what we really emphasize is how can I build the relationship I share with my child so that we can all just do better? Because a kid who feels better about their relationship will actually want to do what we ask, want to participate in the home more, want to organically, intrinsically do the things that are the right things to do because they feel good about our relationship. Will it make them want to pick up their rooms? Maybe. (laughs) Well, it's a really hard one. I think with teenagers, you have to let them get to the bad place where the room is disgusting and it might take them a long time to organically get there. And can we relinquish control around that? Mm, That's a really hard one. It's really hard to walk into that room and see it in the state that it's in and walk out and not have something to say about it. So let me ask you that question, though. Is the type of parenting that you're talking about different for younger kids versus teenagers? No, it isn't. And it's surprisingly, it's just about relationships. So let's take the example you're talking about right now. Is it worth it to nag the child about the room because what does that do to our relationship? And then how does the child respond to us 20 minutes later, a day later, And how are they feeling about us because we've had this interaction about the room? Or do we focus more on how can I get connected to this child and let them get to their intrinsic place of feeling bad about the room? And they will eventually so that they can learn their own lessons. And the same goes for young children. It's really being their guide as opposed to being the dictator. Hmm. So what does it mean when you say get connected with the kids? Well, that looks different with age, right? So little kids, we can do something called special time where we say every day for 20 minutes, hang with your kid, do what they want to do, put everything aside. Don't talk Mm -hmm. to other adults, let other kids play on their own and really focus on your one child so that you can infuse this idea of connection. With older kids, we try to get into their world. What are they interested in? Is it Mario Kart? Is it Snapchat? Can you talk to them about that? Are you in their world with them? Are you making time every day to find out what they're doing and what's going on with them? Mm -hmm. So that's some sort of connection. Empathy is connection. 
Setting a limit is a connection. If you can have empathy afterwards, there's many different components to what makes up a connected world with our kids. So what happens if you have a child who really acts out or does something that is just wrong and needs to be corrected? How do you address that in a connected way? So I think the main thing is to really, you know, move away from the idea of punishments. First of all, do punishments work? If a child does something that's really egregious and we say you're grounded or you can't have your phone or for a little kid, we say you go to timeout, we're taking your toy away, whatever it is, does that actually work? Meaning, does the child sit in the punishment and say, oh, yes, I did the wrong thing. Next time, I really shouldn't do that. I shouldn't hit my brother or sister. Or do we continually have to punish and punish over and over and over again for seemingly the same issue. And if that's the case, then I think the first step is saying, I'm done with punishments. They don't work. And really sitting down and saying, why did the child hit their brother? Let's say that's what happened. What happened? What was the interaction between the brothers before that? Maybe this hit came from something that happened you know, weeks ago that we know nothing about. Like, What is the root of what's going on as opposed to just going to this idea where I'm punishing and it needs to stop? Why are they behaving this way? Do you think that that works even for teenagers when the mistakes that they're making are on a larger scale? Absolutely. I've seen it. My daughter's 16 now and she's had her mistakes. But the other part of this connected parenting is that it's based in brain science. And so the more connected a child is, the more their prefrontal cortex works, meaning their judgment and their reasoning center and their decision-making center, it stays engaged more. So when a child's brain works better, they can make better decisions. A child who's scared of being punished, who's scared of their parents, who's scared of doing the wrong thing is living in a state where their prefrontal cortex, their reasoning center is staying offline more. So they're not able to make good decisions. So you're really setting them up for failure when you're not diving into the connection piece because their brain isn't fully working. So they're at a disadvantage. I love this idea because I almost feel like you're teaching them how to deal with conflict in their future relationships too, because it's like, I mean, so many of us shove conflict under the rug or we don't want to deal with it. And I feel like, especially teenagers, like are going to try to avoid it Mm -hmm. rather than just face it head on. And if they're comfortable going to their parent and saying, Hey, something happened, then it sort of sets them up to have really difficult conversations as an adult too. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. I mean, back to the teenagers, if a child isn't supposed to be at the party and then they aren't going to tell their parents they're at the party because they're afraid of getting in trouble, they need to get home for curfew, but they can't call their parents. Now they're getting in the car with somebody who's drunk because they want to avoid being punished. And now you're putting them in a precarious position because the punishments and the consequences are keeping them from having a fully, you know, beautiful, strong, and reliable relationship with you, a trusted relationship with you. And so that's kind of why connected parenting works better. They might still make mistakes. That's just part of life. Yep. The kid's going to go to the wrong party. They're going to do the wrong thing, but hopefully if they trust you enough, you can help them. You become their safe place. It's such a different way of thinking about parenting, especially for teenagers. Cause usually like that, what we hear about is the clashing and Mm -hmm. the fighting and the door slamming and all of those things, but this is such a different approach to it. Yeah. Kids are born with morality. They really are. 
they might choose to do the wrong thing because they're also their prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed till 25. And of course, they're going to make mistakes, but they don't want to be quote unquote bad. They want to do the right thing. We have to believe the best in them. Is that for the same for girls and boys? Yeah. So their brain's developing, their frontal cortex is developing at the same. The same. For some reason, I thought I always heard that girls developed quicker. I think that's a maturity thing, but that's not a yeah. reasoning brain thing. But that could be a maturity yeah. thing. And by the mm-hmm. time 25 is, do they all even out by then? Right, right, right. Gotcha. On social media, you posted something about allowances and oh, yeah. why you don't actually give your kids allowances. And I thought that that was really interesting. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I know I do give my kids allowance, but I don't give them allowance that's linked to chores. Ah, okay. That's the difference. That's the difference because that in my mind is the ultimate bribe, right? Here, do these things for me and I'll give you the money. No, do these things because you're part of this house and this house Mm. needs help and you need to help us in this house because you're also part of this house. And so I expect you to do chores, sure, but I'm also going to give you allowance, which is not linked. Your allowance, you just get to have. That's money because I want you to learn how to manage money. I want you to learn how to learn the value of money. And so you get a limited amount of money and you have to deal with budgeting that money. And that money is for you to learn about money. The chores are for you to learn how to take responsibility for the place that you live in. But they are not linked, but they're both expectations. Coming at you this spring, the She Who Wins Summit is my first live event. There is no other event like it out there. It's not a stuffy, boring conference. The She Who Wins Summit is a day-long event for women who are ready to up-level their life. This event will inspire you. This event will motivate you. This event will move you. Are you ready to supercharge your self-belief and ignite your soul? Join us. For more information, check out www.shewhowins.com. Hope to see you there. Hmm. Oh, that's so interesting. I love that. What about back talk? What about your kids talking back to you, rolling their eyes at you, storming off? How do you deal with that? I mean, it's that's all good communication. And it's developmentally appropriate for our kids to have their voice and to find their voice. And you know what? Good for them that they're learning how to back talk and they're learning how to be sassy and they're learning how to stand up for themselves. Now, It's not easy for us because we've got to deal with that. But if they can't learn with us, where can they learn that? Where can they learn to have a voice? And do we want them to be ultimately subservient to any adult who speaks to them and following the rules and the and the advice of any adult that's around them? Or should they be allowed to say, you know what? No, I don't like that. Now, does the pendulum swing too far? And are they sassy in the wrong moments? And are they, you know, trying to find their voice maybe incorrectly? Absolutely. But we have to let them practice with us and we can't take it personally. We have to stay grounded. And, you know, I say parenting at 30,000 feet. We have to stay in this place where we're parenting above ground, where we're not getting sucked in. Hmm. So if you have a kid then who turns around and is just downright rude and says something back to you, like, how would you respond to that? Well, I try to use play as one of my go-to with kids of all ages, even high school kids and little kids. I'd say, oh, I say to Esme all the time, super sassy. Oh, I guess you need hugs and kisses from your mom. All 16-year-olds loves hugs and kisses. I know you (laughs) won't be sassy like that. You must have needed some kisses today. 
And she'll be like, oh, you know, and then, but I'll <laughs> go in for the kiss and for the hug and I'll connect with her for a moment. And then she'll come back online and mm-hmm. she'll say, I'm sorry, mom, that was rude. And I'll say, yeah, that was rude. What is going on with you? What's wrong, honey? What's happening here? Yeah. I know so, it's not then- me. And so if you didn't respond that way and like you play it out, it's you you can do that. Or I think the kind of the default is like, all right, kid, I'm going to like ring you, you know, by the neck. I'm going to give it right back to you. I'm going to tell you who's boss. And then what happens is they become even more enraged or they storm off. And, you know, I think that that's a really good point. It resolves absolutely nothing. It actually prolongs that moment. You divulge into this like horrible interaction with them that you can totally avoid. You are in control. And the other thing is, is if you get to that place where you're back and forth with them, you've lost total control of yourself and you've lost Mm. total control of your parenting and you've really given the control to your child And that's a scary place for a 16-year-old to be, to be in control of this interaction. That's a good point for co-parenting too with your ex. Like that's a really, really good response mechanism. I mean, you're probably not going to like go in for the hug or anything like that, but making light of it rather than kind of feeding into it can really lighten up some of the heaviness and the conflict. Yeah. I think that parents have to remember or when they're co-parenting and they have a, an ex who likes to kind of instigate and pick fights, they have the power to take that back and not like really upset their energy because it's just not worth it. No. To, to diffuse it. Staying calm is your number one, you know, tool in, in life. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. If yeah. you can do that, you've won. I know. I mean, you think about, like, I think about the times that I've lost my cool and there's definitely been some times where I have to like put my head down. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so not like, I'm so embarrassed by that. It never solved anything. And it didn't, certainly didn't make me feel good. It made me feel really bad about it. No, we're human, right? And we can't be perfect. And that's going to happen once in a while. And when it does happen with, with our ex-spouse or with our current spouse or with our, our kids, we own up to it. We apologize. And we say, God, I'm so sorry I got angry. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean the things I said. And that precisely is how our kids act. They don't mean to say the things that they say either, just like we don't. And so if we're forgiving them, then they're going to forgive us when we do the wrong thing too. And it becomes this beautiful place where it's ruptures and we repair and we build deeply on the relationship and we are in a reciprocal relationship as opposed to in a relationship where we're just the dictator. You say that there's a difference between parenting with confidence and parenting with fear. What is that difference and what does that mean? I think parenting with fear is like, I'm so fearful my child's going to do something and then they're going to turn out to be a hooligan, you know, or Mm. I'm fearful that everyone's judging me. And if my child is viewed a certain way that everyone's going to think my kid is, you know, bad or I'm bad or I'm a bad parent. It's just, it's this constant fear of something going wrong or me being judged or, you know, instead of living in your confidence and saying, you know what, my child is a great person. I'm a great person and we're going to make lots of mistakes and that's okay, but I'm going to be confident around those mistakes. I'm going to own up to them and I'm going to live in myself as a like feeling good about myself as opposed to feeling bad. I think there's a lot of shame in parenting. There's a lot of like 
places where society makes us feel bad about ourselves and our parenting and our children where it doesn't feel good. And I think just trying to get rid of that out of our psyches. Can you talk a little bit more about the shame in parenting? Because I think you just hit on something there. I think there's a shame around a lot of things. If we think we're supposed to be doing something a certain way and we're not. Yeah. Um, what has been your experience with shame in parenting and what you've seen as an educator? I mean, I think the biggest thing I've seen as a parent, firstly, is that I remember when my child was little and they would do something inappropriate and there were other adults in the room and I would get those looks like, oh, you're not going to let them get away with that. What are you going to do? This is your responsibility. If you don't have a child who is in check, then you're a bad mom and you have a bad kid and you're going to get put in the naughty pile over here, you know? And it was real shame. And I think it comes with our whole patriarchal society that believes in control. Like we need everything to be in control and moms need to be in control of the kids. And, you know, the dads want the moms to be in control and the dads need to be in control and everyone needs to be in control so that we look good and society accepts us. And I want to debunk that entire thing. Mm, I love that. Okay. So I'm going back to, I have a 16 year old too, but I'll never forget when he, maybe he was three or four and we're at Walgreens and he sees a matchbox car that he wants. And he wants it so desperately that he lays down in line and has a total temper tantrum. And there must've been like 10 people in line and he's thrashing and everyone is giving me the dirtiest looks yeah. Like I have the ability to control this little asshole on the floor right now. Right. And like, I'm, oh, it's, no, they've never experienced that. No one other, yeah. have, other had kids that tantrumed. Right. So what is the right response? If a parent has a kid doing that, like, how do you respond to something like that? Do you ignore it or do you address it in the moment? No, I just come with empathy. I say, oh, you really wanted that matchbox card, didn't you? I'm sorry. We can't have it right now. This is a real bummer. He's experiencing <laughs> real loss in his head, right? Yeah, right? He wanted that thing. And we want to dismiss it because you're like, it's just a matchbox car. Like, what are you so worried about? But in his three-year-old mind, that's monumental. He lost his Porsche, you know, like he just lost his dream car. <laughs> and so we have to have empathy. I'm right here. I know you're having a hard time. And if you stick in there, they get over it faster because they can feel our love and kindness. And now they're like, somebody sees me. Somebody hears me. Somebody knows I'm having a hard time and that somebody is my mom and that is my person. Mm, mm, I love that. Okay. So I'm going to flip that then. Let's fast forward to a teenager who is going to give you way bigger issues. But now, you know, I know with kids, because I'm hearing about this all the time and I have a teenager and I have stepkids, teenager and the use of marijuana, like that's a big one now. And so if there's a child who is smoking or partaking in that or alcohol, mm -hmm. how do you deal with that as a parent? So we hope that we've built enough connection, and if we haven't, then we start working on it today, that we have some influence in their life. And that's why connection is so important. That's why punishments are so detrimental for high school kids mm -hmm. because or teenagers. They won't trust you if you punish them. So if you think this will work with also using punishments and bribes and threats and, and consequences – it won't. So we have a conversation with them, but that conversation will only work if we've already set the stage, if they trust us, if they believe in us. So we say to them, I've had this conversation many times about drugs and alcohol. And I've said to Esme, you know, I know you're going to try this stuff. Here's what's important to know. 
One, we don't buy drugs off the street. We don't try drugs that are given to us by anyone we know because things are laced these days and you can die. And here's what happened. And here's an article. Let's talk about it. So if you're going to try it as me, what's the rule? Who do you try it with? You only buy it at a dispensary. You only make sure that you're getting it yourself because this is real. They are going to try it. And just to say, you can't do it. You're going to die. It's not realistic. So also, what do we talk about about alcohol? Like, what is too much? What happens when you get too drunk? Did you see so-and-so's dad at the party? He was too wasted. How did he look? What do we want to portray? And we have real conversations about it without being Pollyanna and saying, you're just not going to do it. And those are my rules. And that's it. Because you're really cutting off a lot of opportunity to learn something here and to teach something. Yeah, that's such great, such, such great advice from whether your kid's having a temper tantrum or you have a teenager with these real big issues. And they're real. So, Michelle, why do you think parenting is so difficult? Because we weren't parented correctly. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Sorry, mom. (laughs) I love you, mom and dad, but they didn't know any better either. You know, they're coming from this old school mentality where you just like, you keep them under control no matter what, because that's going to work. And so we don't know what to do because we were never modeled the right things to do. So we go to this default and we also have lots of wounds from our childhood and those wounds start to bubble over into our parenting. You know, if we weren't heard as a kid, we want to be heard in our parenting and we're going to do whatever it takes to have our kids hear us because we feel unheard. So a lot of triggers come up. A lot of old parenting things come up. It's hard. It's real hard. Um, You know, and I don't want to end this interview without asking you the question about parenting and divorce and how you talk to your kids about divorce when you're going through something yourself and you're struggling. And how do you have those honest conversations with also with not oversharing? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we sat the girls down and said, mommy and daddy can't live together anymore. And we're still your parents and we love you. And we know this is going to be really hard. And we know we're asking a lot of you because we're asking you to go to dad's house and we're asking you to go to mom's house and we're asking a lot of you and we're really sorry that it's so hard and we're sorry that this is happening, but we love you. And just to keep it really honest. And does that change with age, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, my kids were school age, so it was a more adult conversation than I think I would have with younger kids. I would, you know, just not dumb it down, but, you know, make it more age appropriate. We're still your parents. You're going to have a mommy's house and a daddy's house and you're going to get to go to both. And, you know, they quickly realize that it's not a get to go pretty soon. You know, that's not that fun going back and forth and to really empathizing with them when they have gripes around the divorce, really saying, I'm sorry, this is hard. I know you don't want to pack your stuff again. I know you don't want to do this. I know it's really disruptive. And to have empathy for what they go through every day as a kids in a divorced family. Yeah, great information. Michelle, you are just a wealth of knowledge. I absolutely enjoyed this conversation. And I just think that it was, it was just so useful. And I think it's such an important reminder when we're caught up in the craziness and busyness of parenting and schedules and we lose our cool and we're flustered. And it's like such a reminder just to like, check back in and bring it to a different place. And it's not out of control. Like we have complete control over it. So I love, love, love the work that you're doing. So how do we connect with you, find you, work with you and all of the things? Thank you. I really appreciate that was so sweet. And and I love working with parents. And that's what I do every day. I work with parents. You can find me on 
Peace and Parenting on Instagram and on Facebook. And my website is peaceandparentingla.com. And I have my own podcast, which is Peace and Parenting. So lots of different places to find me. And I work with people individually and I have online courses and a whole bunch of stuff you can check out. All of the things. So all those links, of course, will be in the show notes as well. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to kick off 2022, although this episode will probably drop a few weeks into 2022, but but to kick off the first interview of the year that I'm doing anyway with you. So it was a pleasure to connect with you. Great. Thank you, Renee. That's a wrap. Link up with us at MsReneeBauer.com. Remember to rate and review and share with anyone you think might find this episode helpful. You can change your story and live happy even after. 